Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. I'm Jeremy from Utah. I'm Ken from Indiana. Today, we are sharing with you an interview that we conducted with Toby Sumter. He's an associate pastor with Doug Wilson up in Moscow, Idaho. And boy, did we have fun. We are going to be talking in this interview about his preference of some Roman Catholic theologians over and against Protestant theologians. We're going to be talking about women's hair colors and what colors are appropriate for them to dye their hair. <laughs> uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun. So uh, go ahead and buckle up, listen to the intro, and let us know what you think after you listen to the interview. Interact with us on our social media platforms or send us a note at show at dotheology.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. Calvinism is much false doctrine as a woman preacher. Well, of course, in fundamentalism, you define everything as a gospel issue. This is a true mark of Christian maturity to discern the difference of issues. I got an idea. That's not wrong with anybody who thinks they got another idea. There's a lot of different understandings of what the days are in Genesis 1 and to what degree evolution was part of how God created things. I have disagreements with him in some areas, but those are adiaphora, those are side issues, many important issues. So many Bible doctrines are ruined when we use the wrong words. This is why it's so critical that we use only the King James Bible. You gotta have that right or get out of here. Pray God that I don't take every minor thing and make a major thing out of it. Nothing divides like truth. I respect them as brothers in the Lord with whom I have some strong differences, but they have a big problem with me. Is there a way that we can work together? I think fundamentally we have to say yes. Christians can disagree and still kick it. Our guest today is an associate pastor at Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho, and one of the hosts of Cross Politic on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. He's the author of Job Through New Eyes, A Son of Glory, and Bloodbought World. You can read a variety of articles that he's written and find out more about him at tobyjsumter.com. Today, we welcome Toby Sumter. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So that Cross Politic show, I remember when I first started uh, listening to that and when I heard the, my first episode in that, and I was just really struck with the uniqueness of that show. You know, it, it brings in these elements that people, you know, typically try to shy away from issues of politics and religion, and yet combines them together, kind of for the overall theme of the show. Uh, so I'm just wondering about the uh, the genesis of that ministry and where the the fight laugh feast. Where did that come from? Huh. Well, uh, the genesis. It's all Gabe's fault. Um, so, uh, Gabe, um, who is now affectionately known as the water boy, um, it was, it was his idea. Um, uh, he pulled me aside, uh, I guess uh, probably four years ago now, uh, it was, um, spring of, um, I guess 2016, man, I can't, it seems like it doesn't, this doesn't seem that, that long ago, but, um, he pulled me aside one day and said that uh, he was interested in starting a podcast. I don't even think I knew what a podcast was when he asked me to do it. Um, uh, I think I knew about podcasts in terms of like, you know, sometimes sermons were on podcasts, you know, that kind of thing. But um, uh, he was interested in politics and, uh, and, and had been kind of venturing out in that. Um, and then, um, and then asked me if I was interested in joining him. And so we started talking and um, uh, got along well and, um, and then we dragged um, David Shannon into it, uh, Chocolate Knox. And um, uh, he's definitely, he's the te technological side of it. He understands um, all the, the wizardry that goes into uh, making these, these things work. 
whatever this thing is that we're doing right now. Um, uh, so, um, but, but it's also a, a very uh, sharp um, thinker as well in his own right. And, um, and so it was, um, it, this is the very, very condensed version, but basically um, it, it took us a few attempts at convincing Knox to join us. But um, it was, I think, through some of those early conversations that um, there was just something that clicked really well with um, our personalities and interests and, and different, different perspectives and different experiences as well. Um, that brought it together. And um, I don't remember when we first uh, came up with the Fight, Laugh, Feast uh, kind of tagline slogan, but it's definitely, um, I would say, uh, I'll, I'll blame Doug Wilson for it. It wasn't really, it's not really, it wasn't his idea, but um, but I would say definitely it's kind of, that's a shorthand, I think, summary of, of some of what we love about um, our, our community here in Moscow, um, where there's an emphasis on um, uh, both fighting the good fight of faith, um, holding the truth, um, being uh, unashamed of the gospel, unashamed of God's word, um, but also doing that um, alongside of um, joy and, um, and just rejoicing together as a community. Um, and so, you know, laughing and feasting go hand in hand with that. It's, and, and so that's, I'd say those three things are something, at least things that we've inherited um, from uh, our, our church community. And, um, and so, a big part of what cross politic is in addition to just having, you know, sort of, uh, punchy rowdy conversations, applying the Bible to politics and culture. We definitely want it to be, the, uh, uh, we've wanted it to be a way that we're sort of sharing what God's blessed us with here in this community on a broader scale. And I think, um, by God's grace, uh, that's what's happening. So have you, as you've been, uh, you know, it's been about, you said 2016, that's about four years talking about these things in that, in that show, what would be some things that you would say that you've learned along the way as uh, that show has evolved? Wow. Uh, that's huge. Um, uh, I think I've learned a ton of things and, um, um, and some of them, I think I, I knew I was probably going to learn as I went along. And some of them were things that have been sort of unexpected, um, and, um, in wonderful ways. Um, I think just, I've learned actually a ton more about, um, a biblical, uh, worldview for politics. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's not like we, I mean, I don't know, I can't speak to the other guys, but at least for myself, I mean, I, I walked into this with an interest in applying the Bible to politics. And, and I think I had inklings of, and I'd, given, I'd been given enough training to know um, that there were, um, I, you know, I sort of had categories, I guess like you might say. Um, but, um, but, but saying that the Bible applies to all of life, and it applies to politics, it applies to economics, it applies um, to um, all these things, is one thing, and then actually doing it is another. Um, and so when you're actually talking to a county commissioner or a state representative or a governor or lieutenant governor, um, and you're actually dealing with like public policy questions and issues, I mean, you know, the rubber really meets the road and they and they say, okay, so, so what's your idea? <laughs> you know, like, you know, what, what would you do? And, and what does the Bible say about this? And, and, um, so I would, I would say that's probably the easily one of the biggest things is just actually walking down some of those roads a lot further than ever I had ever before. Um, you know, so I'm doing a lot more reading um, and studying of that so that I, you know, and it's a constant, you know, thing where you're just trying to soak more up. Um, but that's been huge. I think one of the other things too is um, it's, it's really easy, um, I think, to be critical. And, um, and at the same time, 
and sort of, you know, you do sort of, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking with, with politicians and you're like, well, I would have, you know, whatever. Um, and, and realizing though, that, um, as it turns out, um, I think most politicians only hear, um, from their constituents when their constituents are mad, <laughs> uh, you know, or, you know, and so r- rather than thinking about, I mean, there's a reason why the Bible tells us uh, to be praying for our magistrates, um, to be ministering, serving them, and so on, um, actually having relationships with them um, in, in times of peace, in times of, you know, plenty, not just in times of want, not just in, you know, not just in the uh, corona crisis or whatever. Um, and, and I think that's been one of the things I've learned on sort of on a number of different fronts. Um, Vody Bakum one time uh, told us about how when he was pastoring in, in Houston, um, they started just writing um, letters. Like, I think every month or every couple months, they would write a letter to their city council members and, and, and they would pray for them. And then they would have the whole church sign a card and then send a card to the city council. And, you know, and these guys, these people in Houston, Texas are you know, all over the map, um, you know, politically and religiously and whatever. And, and he said they had some of the most liberal city council members in Houston sometimes visit church just because they were so thankful and they wanted to say thank you back. Or just a, you know, hey, we prayed for you today in church, and uh, if there's ever anything we can do to help you, let us know. Um, I think that side of it, uh, you know, the, the, the blessings, the benefits that came from that, developing personal relationships. We've um, had our local sheriff on um, um, our show, and one, that was one of the things he mentioned. We were, he's a Christian man, and we actually asked him, you know, one time, like, about the doctrine of lesser magistrates, and would you defend us? And, and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll defend you. He says, but I have a question for you. Will you defend me? And, and I was like, well, wait, wait, you know, like, you know, you're, you're the sheriff, but, but I think he made a really good point. He said, he said, I, I want, I'm your representative and yes, I know it's my job to defend you, but I want to know, do you have my back? Hmm. And, and I think that's an, another really important part of it is, is not just being the critic, not just being, you know, not just lobbing criticism from the, from the far side. You know, and I think this is, you know, we have to criticize. I mean, if, if they're, if they're saying we can murder babies, if they're saying, you know, homosexuality, you know, homosexuals are, can get married or whatever. It's like, no, you, that's wrong. It's, it's not true. It's, that's evil. It's wicked. But, um, it, it's also important to be trying to pursue them as people. Um, and, and, and recognize that if, if they're going to make hard calls, especially Christians, if they're going to stand up for the truth, knowing that we have their back and actually defending them and, and, um, and supporting them in that, I think is, is huge. There'll be a couple of big lessons. In, in your post-millennial, you've got um, a theology of, of victory and optimism, you could say, as you look, look ahead toward the future as we're living life now that, um, that there's victory coming for the, for the church. Has that conviction been deepened through your experience with CrossPolitik and interacting with the officials in your local community? Yeah. Um, well, everybody's kind of a post-millennialist. Oh, boy. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's like, you know, everybody's a Calvinist on their knees, you know? Um, it's like everybody's post-millennial, especially around Christmas time. Um, uh, yeah. Everybody that's singing Joy of the World is sure singing like a post-mill. Um, sure. Uh, but I, I, uh, yeah, um, I would say yes. And I think, um, but I would say yes, um, in a, um, I mean, there's, there are caricatures of, um, post-millennialism where it's, uh, you know, I don't know, it, it sort of, I don't know, WWW or WWF, you know, wrestling, 
um, you know, we conquer all, and yeah. it's this big showy, gaudy thing. Um, and um, but that's you know that's not the images that Christ gives us. He gives us an image of a seed that you know this tiny seed that grows into a giant tree. You know, and trees are you know the most frustrating things to watch grow. I mean, you know, they're, they're just really really slow. Mm. Um, you know, leaven uh, uh, filling a loaf. Um, uh, th- these are the images that we're given and, and, uh, or a mountain growing, you know, a rock growing into a mountain that fills the earth. Um, and so, yes, um, absolutely. And an appreciation though, for, um, uh, God's, uh, sovereignty and wisdom in how he grows his kingdom. Um, you know, and some of it would come, I would say, even in the form of, um, sort of seeing how utterly impossible it is for for us to make his kingdom come. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like if this is up to us, we're, we're, we're doomed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the, and so the idea that, you know, God is the one who's making his kingdom come um, and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then, and you, and you, and you, like, you know, trying to get anything done in politics is, is just kind of silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then you look back for you know the last 2000 years and you say, man, this is utterly ridiculous that here I am on the other side of the planet from where Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven. Um, and I know him on the other side of the planet, 2000 years later, there's some three or four, uh, uh, you know, like almost, you know, half the world's population is Christian, mm-hmm. uh, or at least, at least professing Christ. Uh, and, um, you know, what in the world from like, 12, 12 guys that, you know, uh, you know, could barely stick it together when their master was crucified. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a, it definitely, um, has boosted my, my post mill faith, but I would say it's boosted it in the direction of sort of a, um, uh, realistic optimism, I guess what I would say is it's, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's deepened my appreciation for God's sovereignty in the whole project. Now, thinking about the conviction like that and kind of taking our minds to the local church, you know, going from the podcast into the local church. And this, yeah. this is something I've wanted to ask since I first heard it. So I'm so glad I can ask you. Yeah. Um, I Earlier this year, I was working on my basement and had uh, Doug Wilson's State of the Church sermon playing. Yeah. And he said something I just thought was so interesting concerning convictions in the local church. And I never would have thought he would have said this. <laughs> but kind of his MO is just to surprise people in this surprise. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and this is what he said. I've got the quote here. He said, someone can become a member here at Christ church and not subscribe to the Westminster confession of faith at all. In order to be a member here, you have to love Jesus as biblically defined and you need to be living an orderly Christian life. And that's it. So someone could be an Armenian dispensational charismatic Baptist and say, can I join your church? And I would say, Sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you're doing this because you're confused, but you are welcome. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to sign off on anything. All you have to do is love Jesus and be living an orderly life. So, thinking of the convictions that you share with Doug Wilson and with the others on staff at Christ Church, and and really what's kind of the the marching beat of the church's ministry, kind of that post mill view and the way that that you view evangelism and and setting up your ministries. Why is the membership at Christ Church so open? And do you think it's unbiblical for a church to have stricter membership standards? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's actually a great, um, great example of one of the things that it's just, it's hilarious for those of us who know Doug really well and work with him all the time. 
the caricature that people frequently have of him is that he's, well, he's really mean and he's cranky and fussy and his shoes are like three times too small. (laughs) And for any of us who know him, it's almost exactly the opposite. I mean, it's, it's the, the, the glorious thing. And it's, it's a huge, it's just a gift, honestly, is, is that he's one of the, um, easily one of the most gracious men I know. Mm. And, um, one of the kindest men I know. And in that, um, one of the most patient men I know. Mm. And so, and so the, his willingness, um, to let people come along at their own pace figure things out at their own pace and, and not even, you know, and and even have people that differ with him significantly, you know, join up and be part of the fun is, is totally, um, is totally fine. So, I mean, there's, that's a great example though, of a, of a common characteristic that you actually find in our, in our church community. Um, and I would say, um, to your question, um, I, I, I don't think that it's, I would, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's sinful for a church to have tighter um, requirements than that. I think um, uh, one of the things that's interesting is that God didn't, um, when, when, when Christ established the church, he actually didn't tell us, give us a, a rule book um, for church membership. Um, what he, what he, what he's done is he's established the church. He established the authority of uh, initially the apostles and prophets, and then, the elders that they ordained um, to continue guarding the keys. Um, and, and I always point people to Hebrews 13 as, as like kind of the classic text for just defending the idea of church membership. And in Hebrews 13, it says that, um, that we, we need to obey those who rule over us, particularly those who minister the word to us. And we need to consider the outcome of their lives. So we need to have elders over us who we know well enough to actually imitate them. We need, we need to know their names and, you know, you need to know what flavor of ice cream they like. Um, you know, you, you need to know them that well. And, and if, you know, so that, that cancels out all the TV evangelists, you know, they can't be your pastors and elders. Um, but then it also goes on to say that um, you want to submit to them in such a way that um, it, it's not a, um, it's not a difficulty or a trouble for them um, because, um, because they're watching out for your souls and they have to give an account. Um, and so that's basically the defense of church membership right there is you need to know the name of your elder who you're, you know, the elders you're submissive, you're submissive to, and your elders need to know the, the elders need to know the names of their sheep. And, right. and Jesus says in John 10, that's the, um, that's the mark of a good shepherd. A good shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And of course, Jesus is the, um, the great shepherd of the sheep, the good shepherd. Um, but all, all the other shepherds want to imitate him. So that's church membership. And then I would say, basically that that's, you know, other than that, I mean, I would say um, we need, we need to make sure that, you know, you have faith in Jesus and, you know, you're walking with, with God and baptism are, are the kind of the minimal, the, the minimums. But I would say, I think depending on the context, shepherds would be free to shepherd their sheep um, in a way that wasn't, as long as it's not contradictory to God's word, um, and, and against the, you know, the spirit of what God set up, I think there's, there's freedom there. And I could imagine in different contexts, there being wisdom and saying, you know what, given our context, you know, here's an additional two or three questions we're going to ask in the membership interviews. You know, I mean, if you're in, I don't know, Africa or something where polygamy is 
or or in, or in Idaho for that matter. <laughs> yeah, I'm, or, I'm in Utah, so. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, you know, I mean, like, you know, if I mean, this is not a, a mem- you know, membership question per se, but you know, there might be certain things like polygamy you're going to have to deal with, or there's other. Um, you know, are you, you know, are you actually married to the woman you're living with, you know, in our context, in our, in our, in our day, or um, just other questions that um, may need to be dealt with. And, and I think, I think um, even in the quote that you read, Pastor Wilson, you know, living an orderly life, you know, it has to be defined and fleshed out. And depending on the context, there might be more questions to ask, but um, there you go. Yeah, I just thought it's, it's fascinating that he says, he he used Arminian dispensational charismatic Baptist, you know, all those yeah. things that are of a secondary nature that you just go down the line and it's like, not what Doug Wilson's known for, not what Christ church is known for. Right. <laughs> check, 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 check. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty interesting. And when, when, um, when uh, Christ church, you might know this, but when Christ church became um, uh, reformed and, um, and pedo Baptist and, and these sort of things, um, it, well, I mean, technically speaking, it, it never actually became Pato Baptist. Doug became Pato Baptist, um, and at the time, uh, he, he, uh, the church constitution said that you couldn't be an elder, uh, maybe even a member, I don't know, and be a Pato Baptist. And so he offered his resignation, and the elders were the ones that decided to change the constitution in order to allow Pato Baptists to continue to exist. Um, uh, you know, and be an, uh, an elder. And he, and he agreed not to, um, you know, be, um, uh, you know, uh, going against the other elders and creating division over the issue. Um, and, and so what happened was they actually created a, um, uh, what, what is still in our constitution to this day, it's called a baptismal cooperation agreement, which allows for both Baptist and paedo Baptist to function as elders on our session. And um, every um, person, uh, every household in the congregation is um, uh, free to decide for themselves whether they will have their um, children baptized or wait till there's profession of faith. Wow. Um, 90, 95% of us are Presbyterian, Pato Baptist now, but um, there are still some staunch Baptists in the congregation, and uh, and we, and we all and we all get along great. Do you let chocolate knocks get within thirty feet of them? <laughs> <laughs> Well, somehow everybody still likes chocolate knocks, and uh, and yeah, no, I I did a, I I just did a, a three profession of faith baptisms uh, during a service. It, it was one of our drive-through services, drive-up services, uh, hmm. like three three weeks ago, hmm. and uh, it was it was it wasn't by immersion, which might some Baptists wouldn't buy, but it was still profession of faith baptisms of of three, um, uh, you know, elementary aged kids. Hmm. Wow. Cool. That's so fascinating. You know, when, when we're trying to navigate this, this discussion about how to get along with people that we disagree with and, and trying to figure all that, those things out, I know that uh, in your life, I know you've said uh, another thing that uh, guys like you know, C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton have been pretty significant influences in your life. And I think at one point you even said that uh, Anthony Esselin was your favorite living papist. Yeah. <laughs> so my question is, what do you say to people who might uh, criticize you because you see they see the embrace of guys that you know you don't agree with on on some things that are pretty substantial, while yeah. at the same time they see you sparring with some more of the mainline evangelicals that are in America today. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, one of the glorious, most freeing doctrines. Well, it's it's the it's the most freeing doctrine in in 
in Christianity is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Um, it, it's, it's, it is what set Martin Luther free. It's what, um, it's what set the, I think it's, it's literally what set the church free. <laughs> um, and and it, it sets each one of us individually free, but it also has a freeing impact, I think, on so much of this. And, and that, and, and one of the things, and I learned this from, from, from Doug is that we are justified by faith alone, you know, in Christ alone and, and so forth. Um, which isn't the same thing as saying that we are justified by having our justification by faith alone doctrine perfect. Mm. <laughs> We're actually justified by faith alone, mm. <laughs> which, which means that some people who don't think that we're justified by faith alone can still be justified by faith alone. Um, right. Because it's actually, it's, it, you know, they can think I'm adding something to this. They can think that. Um, and what do you think Martin Luther would say to that? Yeah. Well, I think, I think he would actually agree. Um, I think, I think he would say, I think he would say people claiming that are, I mean, he would have all kinds of names to call them. <laughs> um, in, in, in typical Martin Luther style. Um, but I think, for example, all the, all the mainline reformers um, believed that there were, there were many Roman Catholics during their, peri- their, their time, just the Joe, you know, Christian, the Joe attender of Roman Catholic mass um, that was actually saved, um, even though what they were being taught and what they had been taught was, you know, damnable heresy. Um, and and the reason is is um, the Holy Spirit gives the gift of faith, and 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 that's how we're born again. Um, and but it doesn't mean that we always necessarily understand exactly what we've been born again into. Hmm. And sometimes, and I would say not only sometimes, it's just fact. Uh, many times, and I don't think this is okay or acceptable, and we should be okay with it. But I think that often people are born again, truly born again. And think some really whacked out ideas, <laughs> and and you know think that they're somehow you know contributing to their salvation, or that they you know this uh, you know the fact that I I say my prayer over in this corner and there's a picture there of some saint or something that's doing me some good. Well, no, it's not, it's not doing you any good, and actually it's harming you. But um, but in some instances, and I think you know I think we should correct them, and you know and so on. But I think in some instances, I think we're going to find that there were probably, you know, piles, especially in, in situations where, um, you know, maybe before the Protestant Reformation, um, you know, before um, the Protestant doctrines proliferated, um, where there were people who truly knew God, truly knew um, that Jesus was their Savior. Um, and But if you'd asked them, they would have gone through their Catholic catechism and all of its um, horror. I... Um, I, I actually uh, one of up close and personal version of this was during uh, in uh, 2017 Reformation 500, uh, right around you know October ish. Me along with the rest of the Reform world was preaching uh, a Reformation 500 series, and uh, and I and I got to you know uh, sola fide, and and I walked through actually um, uh, contrasting that with um, the uh, Roman Catholic Catechism. And um, and I actually used the modern version, which is actually better, <laughs> if you can believe that, uh, than what they were actually teaching in the 16th century. Um, they they've it's they're still in massive need of reformation, but it's it's been watered down a little bit. Um, 
And, uh, but I just preached through it and I just said, this is not the gospel. You know, they, they blur ju justification and sanctification, um, merging them thereby, you know, basically creating a, uh, a salvation by works. And, um, and I just walked through that and I preached that sermon and get, came out and just so happened, um, you know, someone's mom was visiting that Sunday, who's this devout Roman Catholic. It always happens like that, right? Yeah, and uh, that, that's what makes ministry exciting. Yeah. And, but she walks up to me and she said, she says, I have never heard a message like that in my life. And I was getting, you know, sort of bracing myself, getting ready for the, you know, you know, how dare you? And she said, but she says, I've been going to Roman Catholic church all my life. I was confirmed Roman Catholic. I go to mass every Sunday. And she says, I believe what you said. I don't believe what the catechism says. I've never believed that. <laughs> and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, praise God. I, don't, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, but I look at someone like that. I, I think she probably still does Roman Catholic stuff and is confused. But, but I, would, I think all of it comes back to um, a robust doctrine of justification by faith alone. And then I would say beyond that um, is, is just that I think um, even if we don't say, um, I mean, I, I'm inclined to think that G.K. Chesterton is in heaven. Um, and it was justified by faith alone, even though he didn't think that was the case, um, based on the fruit of his, his life. I'm looking at the fruit of his life, and I'm saying that's the fruit of a, of a Christian. But even if I'm wrong about that, I also think that um, the influence of common grace is frequently far more robust than we think. Mm -hmm. And so even if I'm wrong there, I would say one of the great blessings of Christian culture some people say, well, with the Christian culture, you end up with a lot of nominal Christians, which is sometimes, yeah, that's, that's one of the downsides, and that has to be addressed. But I also think one of the upsides is you get really robust expressions of common grace. Yeah. And, and you can actually get people just, you know, high-octane common sense, and, and, and even in a Christian culture, they might even be giving you high-octane common sense right out of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of them didn't even know God. Well, it's just like uh, essentially the function of the law that curbs sin. Um, just the sure. fact that there's a law there with threatening the punishment uh, naturally by common grace curbs the amount of evil. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a, a fair point. Fascinating conversation. Uh, if we dwell too long there, we'll all get in trouble. So we, we might want to move on. To the, the, the I'm already question. in trouble. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, there's a, we can't get you into any more trouble than you're already in, uh, which... By the way, you've written a few controversial things. I don't know if you're aware. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, well, let me enlighten. Uh, one of the things, uh, you know, has to do with those unnatural hair colors that some women seem to have. Oh, and yeah. uh, the, the pink hair stuff on tobyjsumter.com. And yeah. you argued basically, as you articulated your position against it, you argued that women should not seek after an unnatural carnal form of beauty that they can rest in, but they should start from a position of resting in the natural beauty that God gives them, yeah. um, creating them as women. Now, uh, you obviously stepped on a few toes in that article. The comment section is pretty interesting um, if, if someone wants to go browse through that. But thinking you know, about how we talk about issues like that, how have you figured out in your personal ministry when an issue like dying hair goes from a freedom conscience issue to, to crossing that line over to sin or uh, just a form of irreverent behavior. Yeah. Well, part, I think part of what was so offensive about that article is, is actually um, 
is where I, I started with talking about um, a mother. I don't remember what magazine it was in now, but um, it, it, there's a, it was like good housekeeping or something like that. It was, you know, some generic, you know, not, you know, not Playboy, not, you know, not uh, Esquire, not some kind of, you know, crazy fringe thing, but like good housekeeping or, you know, mothers, you know, weekly or something hmm. um, where a mother, a professing Christian mother um, rec- recounts how she's decided to let her little boy wear a girl's underwear um, because he feel that, you know, they, and, and she goes through how she, you know, um, they spanked him, they disciplined him, they took him to the pastor, they got counseling, they went through all this stuff and all this rigmarole. And um, it was just, it was terrible. It was awful. Um, they never made any progress. And so in the end, she just decided that she's going to let him wear girls underwear. And she thinks that's the most Christian thing to do. Hmm. Um, and, and so um, it was, it was that. Uh, and, and what I, and the point being is, so that I, I want to, well, that, that's an abomination. Um, that, that's um, uh, the, the, the Bible um, says that, you know, sexual confusion like that, um, cross-dressing, um, the, the whole tranny fad um, is, um, is wicked, it's an abomination, and it's a direct attack on the image of God. Um, you know, uh, you know the, 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 the first attack is murder, uh, murder of the unborn, murder of the elderly, murder of any image bearer. That's an attack on the image of God, an attack on God. Um, but the next thing is you just you start um, uh, tearing the image of God apart. You, you start defacing it. You know, if you can't kill it, you deface it, mm-hmm. you vandalize it. And, and that's what all this, you know, sexual confusion is, is a, it's a vandalizing of God's image. So, but, but the thing that, so I think to your question though, is, is when, um, you know, yeah, all by itself, you take a snapshot and you say, you know, you know, what color is sinful? Right. Right. Well, okay. I, I, you know, the answer of course is, well, it depends. I mean, if, if you are dressing up as a clown for the circus, you know, I, you know, then, uh, okay. You know, if that's, if that's what you want to do, fine. If it's Halloween and you want to do that, okay, whatever. Um, and, and maybe in some, you know, other culture or somewhere crazy, you know, I don't know, maybe there's been a, maybe there'll be, you know, some high Christian African culture where, you know, there's, you know, uh, crazy colors. I don't know. I'm open to that. But, um, but I would say, um, the colors, the, the peacock colors that, you know, have been kind of faddish um, is, is not happening in a vacuum. It's happening in a particular cultural context um, where we are busy doing everything we possibly can to deface the image of God. Hmm. Um, we've, been, we've been killing babies and, and we've been completely um, disregarding his law with regard to sexuality. And, and the next thing is, is allowing that to creep in. And, and I think what many Christians are just completely naive about is the fact that um, the, the culture, the godless pagan culture, is grooming us. Um, and, I, and I use that word intentionally. Grooming is a, is a word that is kind of a buzzword for anybody that's done any studying in, in sexual abuse. Um, abusers groom their victims. Hmm. And if you, you go through the training courses, go through, you know, watch the video, whatever, and you'll find that that's, you know, usually 
abusers are known quantities. It's not just some stranger that picks up some kid in the park. Usually, um, it's somebody that you know, a trusted person, an uncle, a, a grandparent, a teacher, a you know, gym teacher, a pastor, and then they groom their victims. And, and what they do is they, they, they're slowly warming their victims up, um, crossing little taboos and little lines and building a particular kind of trust and secrecy that then allows them to do horrific things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I don't think that Christians frequently realize that the pagan culture around us, um, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, Romans 12 says, do not be conformed um, to this world, but be transformed. Uh, by the renewing of your mind. And, um, and that um, conformity that the world is trying to press us into, that the world is trying to press us into its mold, happens not, f- usually it doesn't start with walking up to a nice Christian lady and saying, hey, how about you let your little boy wear girls' underwear? Right. Um, it, it starts with saying things like, here, this is a little bit, um, try this. Um, this is a little bit taboo, but actually, we don't call it taboo, we call it cool. We call it sexy. We call it trendy. And, it's, and there's not a verse in the Bible that says you can't have pink hair. There's not a verse in the Bible that says, you know, you can't wear this or do this or, you know, one piercing, five piercings, 10 piercings, who's to say? And, and, and what you end up with is those, is you're, you're that, you know, um, uh, you're, you're getting boiled. You're, you're the frog getting boiled. You know, just slow, the temperature slowly goes up. And, and now if you say anything about, you know, um, you know, so why, why are all, all the girls getting nose piercings? Well, they say, well, well Rebecca had a nose piercing. Hmm. <laughs> right. And also, um, you know, she was in submission to her husband. Is that what you mean by it? Hmm. Um, you know, when, when slaves got piercings in their ears, it meant that they were going to stay with their master for life. Who's your master? Yeah. So, but so, I think that's that's the idea, though. Is you end up with um, a grooming process, and so I think I think the question becomes: is it's not so much the color; it's it's what, what's the context, what's happening. So, what's um, your bottom line pastoral response? Because I mean, obviously, in America, we we hear the "don't judge me" stuff all the time, right? Um, but say someone is a little more mature in his or her walk with the Lord, and the response is more like you're just you're throwing a slippery slope argument on me and that's just stepping on my freedom. What what's your bottom line pastoral response to that? Uh, bottom line is it is a slippery slope because we keep losing. Hmm. So show show me a church where this is common, where you know all this stuff, pink hair and tattoos and piercings and immodest clothing or whatever. Show me a church community that's lasted generations. There isn't one because hmm. you do this and five minutes later, the pastor's sleeping with the secretary. Five minutes later, there's some um, controversy about abuse. Five minutes later, um, you know, people are apostatizing and, and walking away from the faith. Um, I, I don't, and I'm, and I'm, I, I preach this and teach this. And at the same time, I've had people in my church with colored hair and, and piercings that I don't think are great. And I don't run them down the street. I don't chase them down the street. I mean, we were talking about, you know, what's, what's, what's the prerequisite for being a member of my church? <laughs> Loving Jesus and walking with him. That's it. Hmm. And so I, so I would still say, I'm not, um, we're not doing like church discipline over this. Um, but, but I am going to say, watch out. And, and the bottom line is, it is a slippery slope. Because 
every time people say I'm free to do this, I'm still waiting for the one where the person's like, you know, 10, 20 years later, it's like, yeah, I'm so glad I did that. And it's made me closer to Jesus. And I'm way wiser now because of it. <laughs> Never met that person. Yeah, you're, you're not allowed to talk about wisdom. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of uh, controversial things uh, in terms of uh, uh, women and things like that, another one of your and bombshell. your website. Yeah, and your website. <laughs> another one of your bombshell articles was that piece that you published right after uh, John MacArthur had made his comments about Beth Moore at that conference, oh, yeah. that, that go home line. And, uh, and real quick, didn't that like break your website? What happened it, with that? It, it, yeah, I think um, Phil Johnson, I think, shared it like 10 times on his Twitter feed. And yeah, I, I had no idea what had happened. I just all of a sudden was trying to get on my website and it wouldn't work. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so it took me a while to figure out what had happened. And then eventually when I got around to look, I, I thought, oh, look, Phil shared it. Oh, OK. Um, and then I went back and saw that he had shared it like, you know, six times or eight times or something. And um, I'm pretty sure it was him and his friends, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. So now I have a better setup. I, I actually have a server that can handle it, but I didn't before. Yeah, that's good. So on that, in that piece, you're talking about, you know, some of the, uh, the applications that come from complementarian theology and just some of the interactions with that. And I'm just curious about what you make of some of the criticisms that may have come your way as a result of that piece. And if you think that a denial of complementarianism makes someone a heretic. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there's, I, I would say there's a, um, on, on the heresy question, I think there are, there's a difference between a heretic um, that um, either is completely is denying the gospel and, 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 and in a persistent way um, leading other people astray, sort of capital H her, heretic. And, Back to sort of my point before where, you know, I suspect that almost all of us probably have hints of heresy somewhere that we're, you know, I mean, by God's grace, it's being pruned. You know, we don't, if we, as we're made aware of it, we're repenting of it and so forth. But so there's, there's a sense of heresy being, you know, sort of just falsehood. Um, it's not fully biblical. Um, and, and then there's a sort of capital H heresy, heretic, you know, Jesus is not God. Um, uh, you know, the Father, Son, and Spirit are not one true God, you know, um, uh, those, you know, those kind of sort of strictly damnable heresies. Um, so I would make that distinction. And I would say, so it's, and I would say, um, it is a heresy in the sense that it's a false teaching. Um, but I don't think that it's a heresy in the sense that um, if, if someone is, um, I, I think somebody can be justified by faith alone, and still think that, you know, a woman can preach um and um they're wrong and it's a heresy in that sense and um and i think it's it's significant and and, and serious but i think they can still go to heaven when they die does that do make you, sense do you stop short of calling those people brothers and sisters here and now um i would want to judge that on more than just that issue sure. yeah so i know of um i, I know of uh, of Christians who I'm sure are Christians who I differ with on this topic. And so I would call them brothers and sisters and I would say, brother and sister, you know, brother, sister, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, and you need to stop doing that. Um, uh, uh but I, you know, I think it, it's, um, there's a lot of, you know, 
a, a lot of professing Christians who believe in theistic evolution. Um, and it's, that's totally wrong. Um, and, um, and dangerous. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure that they're brothers and sisters. Um, so I, I would put it in that kind of category. Um, but I think typically what happens is it, the thing is, is these things really are, um, they really are slippery slopes. <laughs> um, they, they really are things that it, it, you, um, you can't stay there for long. And so, um, you know, if you, you deny complementarianism or you're, you know, way on the soft, soft side of it, and 10 years later, you're basically, you know, you're, you're at least functionally egalitarian. And, and then 10 years later, um, somehow, we don't know how this happened, you're ordaining homosexuals. Like that's, that's the trajectory over and over again. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think, I mean, I've, I've, I know of, um, uh, I know of counterexamples. I do know of some examples where somebody has actually come the other way. Um, but it's rare. It, it, you know, it's like a unicorn. <laughs> it's, it's just um so um so there you go yeah um speaking of you know partnerships or or having a sense of brotherhood and sisterhood with those we disagree with on some some issues uh i guess i would say the the christchurch outflow of ministries which would you know cover uh cross politic and blog and may blog and all that stuff um there's a good deal of partnering going on with Reformed Baptists. Uh, and I know you mentioned earlier about your, in your church, there are still some people who would identify as Baptists, 5% perhaps, give or take. <laughs> um, as you've partnered with Baptists, have you found those relationships to be beneficial in ways that might surprise some people who kind of stick to their own camps? Have you had any sharp disagreements like Paul and Barnabas uh, with anybody where you've just had to, to part ways? What's that overall experience been like outside of the local church as you've partnered with uh, those who disagree with you on baptism and perhaps other issues? Yeah. I, um, yeah. We've, I think we would, I would say it's been, um, there's, there are tons of, of um, Reformed Baptists that we've basically, well, I mean, probably even beyond Reformed Baptists, you know, I, I think just um, the Baptist world, I think, has been um, very friendly um, to a lot of the work we're doing. And, um, and that's been grand. And I would say, actually, I think we've had our sharpest um, collisions with Presbyterians. Hmm. Um, um, you know, I think, um, and, and I think, you're helping the Baptist cause here, Toby. You better watch yourself. <laughs> right. Well, they're still wrong about baptism, but <laughs> okay. I think but, Presbyterians fight almost as much as us fundies. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I think part of it is actually that um, I think good fences make good neighbors, and and so um, where things are are spelled out, where we just know, like, yeah, we got different convictions on X. It and, and when X is not an essential to the, to the gospel. Um, it just frees us to work on all the stuff that we know we agree on and occasionally, you know, poke each other and, and rib each other and say, Hey, you know, I think you can do better there. Um, but it's, but it's, I think the fence there protects the friendship. Um, and I think in some ways, um, the, um, those you're, I mean, you, you fight more with the people you're closest to. Um, and, um, you know, this, I mean, there's temptations in that. I mean, so that's, you know, you know, that's why you, um, you have to guard your marriage so closely and you guard your relationship with your kids so closely because the people you spend the most time with, you're, 
um, most vulnerable to sin against. And, um, you know, the, the, the amount of confession and forgiveness and reconciliation you have to do is, I mean, I, I think if you did a graph of it, would, would, and if you're being faithful, it's, it's highest, you know, with those you're closest with, those you spend the most time with, your wife and your kids. Um, and, um, uh, and so the, um, so I think um, that the same thing is, is true, though, of I think when you all share mostly the same doctrinal distinctives, um, then you notice the things where you, you differ on. Um, I, I would just say, I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I think, um, I think there has been, um, I think historically, um, Presbyterians and Baptists have actually worked together um, quite harmoniously. Um, if you go, if you go back a great, here's another plug for post-millennialism, but read, um, uh, Puritan Hope by Ian Murray. Um, uh, it's a, it's in the pa- uh, Puritan paperbacks, um, series. Um, and it's a, um, it's an explanation basically of the uh, eschatology of most of the Calvinists in England and Ireland, um, in the 16th and 17th century. And it turns out almost all of them were post-mill. And, um, and both Baptists and Presbyterians. Um, and, but they, and that's what started the explosion of missions in the 17th century. So William Carey and, you know, Hudson Taylor and, you know, that whole explosion, George Whitfield, um, that, that didn't come out of nowhere. That came out of um, about, a, you know, 50 to 80 years of Calvinists, both um, Baptists and Presbyterians um, preaching a high octane um, gospel that believed that the Holy Spirit would visit that preaching with power, um, and it did. Um, so all, all that to say, um, I'm I've been getting along with Baptists just dandy, <laughs> and uh, and and I think um, it's uh, historically been the sort of thing that they have, and um, and I'm I'm glad for it. Very good. Well, we're just about at the end of our time. So just our final question for you here today. Uh, what encouragement do you have for leaders and lay people in local churches as they uh, seek to live out their, their own convictions, but also seeking to have unity in Christ within, uh, within a local church? What kind of encouragements would you have uh, as they seek to develop those convictions and, but still uh, learn how to not you know, you know, fall into these foolish controversies over lesser important issues mm. yeah um i think the f- the first thing would be uh, i mean jesus says very very clearly that you have to you know um, take the log out of your own eye before you can see the speck in your brother's eye and um and so um if you want to be someone who is can tell the difference between um important controversy and worthless controversy you need to be able to see and the only way you can see clearly is if you're confessing your own sins regularly. Um, and so, um, and so I, I think there's a, it, it's, it's very easy. Um, I think per, perhaps particularly for men, perhaps for men in interested in theology and philosophy and these things uh, to get fixated on doctrine and theology to, at the expense of personal holiness and piety. Um, if you're looking at porn you have no business talking about getting into a theological argument on Facebook, right? Like just, just stop. Um, you're, you're, you've, you've done quite enough. Thank you very much. Um, 
confess your sin, repent of it, get right with your wife, get accountability. Um, if you're lying, if you've got a history of lies to anybody, your employer, your coworkers, your wife, your kids, your parents, stop. You can't see clearly. I don't care if you know, you know, Westminster Confession backwards and forwards, or you memorize the Cal Calvin's Institutes or whatever. You're, it's worthless. Um, you need to stop it. Um, and, you know, go down the list. If you're an angry man, if you're an angry man, if you lose your temper with your kids, okay, stop arguing about theology. Get, you, you, your kids are more important than arguing theology on the internet. And, and you are not honoring them. And you're not honoring God by the way you're treating them. Um, and, and, you just, and just, you know, if you're a complainer, a fusser, um, you know, are you a drunk, you, you're given to alcohol, um, whatever. Um, if, you, if you are not um, being, um, if you're not confessing your sins, if you're not walking in holiness before God, um, stop giving God a bad name with what you're doing. And then I would say on the flip side is if by the grace of God, he's giving you progress in those things. If he's giving you victory in those things, if you're walking in holiness and by the grace of God, you're seeing that fruit in your life. Uh, your marriage is a happy place. Your kids love you. You know, they're, they're the first ones. There's a, a parade of people greeting you as you walk in the door at the end of the day. Um, and there's sweet fellowship there. Um, you confess your sins, you're forgiven, you're in fellowship with those people. And God's giving you a hunger for truth and, and theology. Um, then give yourself to it wholeheartedly with joy and, um, and don't be afraid of the fight. Um, don't be afraid of the struggle. Because the thing is, is um, the reason why personal piety and holiness matters is that's the ground that will then um, check you as you go into the fray. So how do you know you're fighting the right battle? How do you know, or is that just pride? Or is that just the flesh? Or are you just getting wound up on something stupid? Well, the way you know is because you've been practicing it at home. You've been practicing it in your own heart every day. Um, you know in your heart that, no, that really was lust. That really was a lie. That really was pride. And you've killed it and you've confessed it and you've repented of it. Or you're just being stupid. You're getting, you're being self-centered and you're thinking about stuff that you shouldn't think about. You're just getting in your head in a wrong way. So that's, you're practicing it in small ways so that when you go out and you start contending for the faith and on, on, the, on bigger things, you've been practicing it. And you've been, you've been, um, you have a wife who's giving you good input, input and feedback and uh, encouragement. You have elders and, and fellow and pastors who've seen you in that holiness. And when you say, no, I, this matters, we can't give ground here. We have to fight here. Um, you've proven yourself to be a man of God and, and, and you are a man of integrity all the way down. It's not just a show. It's not just um, you wanting to, you know, swing a sword around um, because you've actually been living it every day in your life. Amen. That's so good. Good stuff. Appreciate yeah. the time, Toby. This has been a, a longer interview. Thanks for, for taking the time with us. And uh, for everybody listening, check out tobyjsumter.com. Check out Cross Politic, the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Even if you are like Ken and I and you disagree with these guys on a few points, uh, they are our brothers and they have wisdom to share, as you just heard. And we can uh, greatly learn from them and um, have just sweet fellowship with them uh just like we we did today so uh thank you so much again toby it was a pleasure thanks very much for having me